0: Hello. So how- Good morning. It's good to see you all here on this chilly Sunday morning. If you have your bulletin, let's look at a couple of announcements. Uh, again, offerings in the offering box. Andrea's number. Days of praise and acts of fa- and facts are here uh, for your use. That's on the foyer table. Thank you to Dale for Taking care of the church mail, thanks. Taking care of the church mail, thanks. <laughs> and I, I must have missed it, and I'm sure you were already thanked. But who was the who who was the painters downstairs? I, I, I was reminded again, again that this morning. Did you do that, Phil? Paint downstairs? <laughs> <laughs> Depending on whether or not it tracks on our shoes. <laughs> Well thank you very much uh I think that needed doing for a while and it looks great yeah thanks guys looks great I appreciate it uh and a note about a special offering for Jenny um, many uh under doctor's care of course uh, and uh keep those in prayer remember our our country and our service people. What else? Anything else today? Bill, go ahead. Um, I talked to Jerry and Charles yesterday. I yeah. Know, I think
1: I might have the latest news on it. it he has a valve problem in his heart. That, and it sounded like he wasn't real sure that he was going to go through
0: with it, but I, I'm pretty sure the doctor kind of convinced him into doing that. Uh, a surgery? Oh, Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. And, but it sounds like he's uh, willing to go get it. It's one mm-hmm. of them that they go up here like Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Yep. Yep, I w- I talked to a gentleman about 2 weeks ago that had had had, had that surgery. He he <laughs> it was kind of a odd thing. He had a stroke and went in and when they were poking and prodding, they found that problem and uh he said i I'm, i feel 30 years younger so yeah yeah okay we'll keep yeah well well thanks for yeah maybe we could pray for yeah so uh, certainly keep charles and jerry in your prayers and um we'll be excited to see uh, what the Lord does there. All right, anything else? Scripture for meditation this morning is Psalm 51. Let's stand together and ask the Lord to bless us as we worship Him. Dan, can I ask you to open for us today? Thanks. You would mold and shape us into Christ, and that um, you would receive the Lord in honor this day in our singing and in um, our worship and the um, presentation of your gospel. In your name, I pray. Yeah.
1: Amen. Amen. We please take your brown hymnal this morning and turn to 193 193 in the brown. Amen. <clears throat> I think it's 382 in the brown 382
0: Scripture reading this morning is from Genesis, the third chapter. We'll be reading verses 1 through 19, page 5.
3: that I commanded you not between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you will return. Father in heaven may you Bless this holy and inspired scripture to our bodies and our souls for your glory and our good. Amen.
1: You take your red hymnal this time and turn to number 535 in the Red Trinity. 535.
2: Jared, I need a water. Thank you. Our scripture text is Genesis 3. In our last study, we noted that God has an elective love for his people, choosing whom he will love based upon his own determination and his own will, and not some foreseen faith or good works in the recipient. He loved Jacob. He hated Esau. But we observe that both Jacob and Esau Deserve to be hated and condemned by God because of their sin and rebellion. God just chose to be merciful to Jacob. And if we try to find the reason for that in Jacob, we err greatly. Paul says, Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? Romans 9, verse 21, the potter has that authority. We noted in the second place why God must be the initiator of any relationship between sinners and himself. It's because we're dead in spiritually. We looked at the valley of the dry bones in Ezekiel 37, an illustration of how dead men are in the sight of God. Dead is dead, and if you're dead, you don't have the life needed to respond right to God. Well, today's study picks up on this last theme, the deadness of sinners towards God, by looking at how this came to be, and secondly, how extensive the deadness is, thank you, Jared, and finally, the remedy for such deadness. As we come to our study, let's ask the Lord's enablement. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of sharing the gospel for us to be able to study. And I'm thankful we can each have and possess our own copy of the scriptures. There was a day when no one had a copy of the scriptures except the the clergy. And they used to chain a Bible on a uh, lectern in the town square and if you wanted to read the bible you had to come and read it out of the bible chained on the lectern but here we are today we can each have our own copy of the scriptures and not only that we can have dozens of translations so that if we were stumbling over king james words or anything like that we can check some of the more modern translations and understand today's english And be helped by the word of God. We thank you for this. What a great age in which we live. But that's not to say that there aren't people throughout the world that have never heard the gospel. And they don't have a Bible. The work of the translators, Bible translators, is still going on today. Reaching tribes and people. Translating the word of God into their languages so that they can hear the gospel for the first time in their lives we pray you'll bless that work we bless it by granting many souls to come to Jesus in whose name we pray with thanksgiving amen we're in Genesis 3 what I want us to see this morning as we talk about Salvation is, the fall of man was a severe fall in Eden. It was not just a stumble. It was a severe fall. All of us are familiar with the account of Adam and Eve, and I think we're so familiar that we scarcely take time to think in how devastating their sin was to themselves and to the whole human race. There was no defect in the creation of our first parents. Solomon writes, God made man upright. Four words. God made man upright. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 29. How so? Well, Genesis 127, God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Well, if you're going to be created in the image of God, it's a perfect creation. It's not God now, but in the image of God. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, we think of image, we conclude something etherical, something not quite real, maybe ghost-like an image. If we were to look at a photograph of a family member, we may say, that's mother, or that's father. But in our heart, we know that such is just an image of them. Mom called up to the steps and said, Janie, you forgot to kiss your father and I good night." Jenny responds, oh, yes, I did. I kissed your pictures on my dresser. This is how we think of image, a replica, but not the real thing. We may bring this meaning into a text like this one in Genesis 1, verse 28. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Is God saying... That the creation of man in his own image was not a real representation of his character in man. Are we to believe that Adam and Eve were facsimiles of God, replicas in clay, but not real image bearers of the divine nature? Well, Genesis 1.26 sheds some light on this subject. Here we read of another word, a synonym. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. The terms here are interchangeable. Genesis 5, one. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man, adama, meaning ground. To be made in the image of God is to be like God. Okay, but like God in what way? Well, in every attribute of God which He is able to share with finite creatures, called in theology the communicable attributes of God. That is, characteristics which God may communicate to his creatures such as power to rule, righteousness, holiness of character, the ability to know, the ability to will or make decisions, the ability to love others, the ability to think and reason, and the ability to feel and experience emotion It's quite a bit. But some attributes of God, he cannot share with his creatures. His infinity. His eternality. God always was. But man is a creature of time and space. And so, we have a start, we have a beginning, and we have an end. And being in the corporal body, we're spatially locked into one location At a time, we may know, but we do not know all things. So omniscience, God does not share with us. We may have power and rule over others, but we're not all powerful. In other words, we have limitations. For our purpose this morning... We're looking at the ways in which Adam and Eve were like God, as people created in God's image. And by the way, image does not mean phantom or not real. In fact, it means the direct opposite. When the writer of Hebrews speaks of Jesus, he describes him as the brightness of God's glory and the exact express image of his person. Hebrews 1 verse 3. Or again we read, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. That's the way the NIV reads it. You remember Jesus' statement to Philip? Anyone who has seen me, what? has seen the Father, John 14, verse 9. Now, to be sure, there are differences between how Adam and Eve bore the image of God in their person and how Jesus bore the image as the last Adam. Adam and Eve were like God in all those ways. They could become so. But Jesus was God. Not like God, was God. In all the ways open to Adam and Eve, and in all the ways not open to them as finite creatures. You might ask, well, why are you laboring the point? Well, what is so important about Adam and Eve created in the image or the likeness of God? It means that God created them upright with no bias towards sin, no propensity towards disobedience, no hint of a flaw in their character. No latent anomaly, which raised its ugly head later on. No predisposition to disobedience. No inability to understand and obey. They were perfect as they were created human beings. God did more. He made Adam and Eve after the pattern of his own perfect character. He endowed them with his abilities for example like God Adam had power to rule let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air over the livestock over all the earth and over all the creatures that move upon the ground genesis 1:27 let them rule over all wow that's a sweeping statement Like God, Adam had the ability to create. Be fruitful and increase in number. to Fill the earth and subdue it. Genesis 128. Of Adam, we read later on, when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness and his own image. And he named him Seth. Genesis 5 verse 3. So the ability to create love through procreation. Again, the ability to know the created world and to work in wisdom. Chapter 2, verse 15 of Genesis. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it. And uh, so we find that Adam did so with the knowledge of a horticulturalist, knowing full well that each specimen of plant and tree needed to produce fruit and to thrive. These are all ways in which God created Adam like himself. Again, like God, Adam was, had the ability to think and reason beyond his own existence. God brought them, the animals and the birds, to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So he's doing the work of a zoologist familiar with all the ways of the animal kingdom. Again, like God, Adam was free to act on his own. Chapter 2, verse 16, And the Lord had commanded the man, You're free to eat from any tree in the garden. So no check upon his freedom to act. Free to eat from any is pretty wide, pretty gracious, and included the tree of life had Adam so chosen to eat of it. Again, he had freedom to decide for himself his course. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Chapter 2, verse 17. That's a prohibition. It's not a restriction. By which I mean God warned, don't eat. But Adam was free to make uh, make up his own mind. Am I going to eat or not eat? Hmm. In other words, I'm saying he was not programmed to obey like an automaton or a robot. To obey or disobey, that was his decision. Wow. Again, like God, Adam was enabled to love others and to be loved in return. The Lord made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Chapter 2, verse 22 and following. And verse 18 calls Eve a helper suitable to him, to Adam. Animals do not love. I know we attribute human emotions to them, but they're not made in God's image. We look at the Basset hound and we say, Oh, look how sad he is. All those droopy eyes. He's not sad. Neither is the Sharpa, which is another dog with sad eyes. Those are just physiological characteristics that look sad to us. So we say, oh, they're sad. They're not sad. They don't have emotions. But Adam could love. Eve could love. This trait they received from God. Now all of these things then, evidence... The image of God in Adam and Eve, the power to rule, to create, to know things, to do work, to think and reason, to be free to act, to be able to decide for themselves as an act of their will, to be endowed with emotions like love, kindness, and so forth. These are all positive enablements of God to them as the first human being. There was no predisposition to sin, but every enablement to live righteously like God the Creator. If there was any bent in them, they were bent towards righteousness, and they were truly free, truly alive in God, and attuned to His will without being coerced. The accompanying accoutrements are all to be minimi- are not to be minimized either. What accoutrements? Well, the Garden of Eden. You ever think about that? Paradise of God, a lush green oasis, watered by no less than four main tributaries: the Pishon, Hebrew means gusher; the Gihon, a spurter. That's what the Hebrew means. The Tigris and the Euphrates. Four water sources. Chapter 2, verse 11, and following of Genesis. The climate was such that one could walk around naked and not be bothered by the elements. And at that time, the mosquitoes didn't suck blood. <laughs> the gnats didn't bite flesh. The canker worms didn't destroy plant life. Thistle, weeds, and poison ivy, poison oak, and shumac didn't exist. Going barefoot in the park resulted in no thorns in the feet. Gardening resulted in no toil or arduous cultivation to rid the soil of weeds. The soil was fertile in the fertile crescent which housed the garden of God. Now all of this indicates that Adam and Eve were perfect people placed in a perfect environment. There was no lawlessness, no crime, no rape, no hatred, no malice, no jealousy, no deprivation, no poverty, no lack of opportunity, no injustice, no inequality. They came into being off the fingertips of God with a silver spoon in their mouth and having the world by the tail. Nothing opposed them, assaulted them, deprived them, maligned them, made them ill or did them harm. Heaven was on earth. And they were the sole stewards of this pristine paradise. They were free to act as no men or women have been since. They were truly made in the image of God. Carried that likeness with them wherever they went. Wow. Now I've said all that to say this. When Eve was deceived by the illogical lies of the evil one and Adam her husband became a willing participant in her sin of disobedience by choosing to eat of the forbidden tree, that decision of the will was deliberate, intentional on Eve's part or I mean on Adam's part and premeditated disobedience not only to the express command of God, but to all that their being an environment affirmed to them about God. I mean, how can you be a perfect person living in a perfect, sinless environment and come up with sin? Well, they did. They went against their righteous makeup as image bearers of God. They chose Satan's lie over God's truth They walked through the door of disobedience and rebellion with no coercion by God and their own free will. They chose lies over truth, wickedness over righteousness, insanity over reason, darkness over light, and Satan over God. That's what they chose. This was no stumble on the path of life, but a plunge off the precipice into utter destruction. It was no stubbed toe, but a casting of both body and soul into the cavern of hell. And it was more than suicide. It was genocide of the most outrageous dimension killing not only themselves but the whole human race with them. Wow. To break the command of God Adam and Eve had to deliberately go against all that they were in terms of the righteousness And holiness of God. Their sin was deliberate. Defiant. On purpose. Intentional. Irrevocable. And deadly. They died that day. As God had warned. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it. You will. Surely die. Chapter 2 verse 17. God said. You will surely die. Die, but Satan through the serpent said, "You will not surely die." Genesis three verse four. Paul wrote about what happened. Paul wrote they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worship and served created things. Rather than the creator. Furthermore. Since they did not think it worthwhile. To retain the knowledge of God. He gave them over to a depraved mind. To do what ought not to be done. Romans 1 verse 25 and following. Wow this is scary stuff. Not only did they kill themselves. They killed the race. And here we are, thousands of years later, dead in trespasses and sins. What about the extent of the fall? Well, this was and is the result of the entrance of sin into God's perfect creation. He was not it was not a stumble, but a severe fall, from which there is no human recovery. Every murder, every rape, every hatred, every jealousy, every malice of spite can be traced to the fall of Adam. Every abortion, every robbery, every extortion, or any other crime against humanity is the product of the fall. Every disease that racks your body, every deterioration of age, every gray head and aching joint in your body from, is from the fall. Every war, every slaughter, every terrorist attack, Every political intrigue, every double cross, every betrayal, every treasonous act, born from the fall. Every lie, every disobedience to parental authority, every cheating on an exam, every back talk, every disrespect to a teacher has its roots in the fall. Every sexual perversion, every adultery, every fornication, every sexual ex- homosexual expression is from the fall. And where nakedness became shameful and recreational sex took precedence over the sanctity of the marriage bed, it's from the fall. This is not little. This is not a little something that happened. By the way, every discord in the Church of Christ... Every lack of the honor of God, every rebellion against his instructions in the Bible, every church split, every heresy, every false religion, every false cult and unbiblical teaching comes straight from the fall. Where our first parents became worshippers in the synagogue of Satan and abandoned the temple of the Lord. You think the fall was a little thing? No, no, no. The fall was gigantic gives me shivers to think about it. Our ignorance of truth, our dullness in learning, our forgetfulness, our lack of understanding, our preference of folly over wisdom has its roots in the fall. The fall, brethren, is no little thing. The fall killed us towards God. Death came upon us as God warned And the result is that all mankind, without exception, is dead towards God. Being dead towards God means we have lost not only the ability to please God through obedience to his commands, but also the will to want to obey. Listen to the indictment God himself levels on fallen man i'm reading from the scripture here it's from the book of romans the apostle paul boy does he paint with a very black brush brush and here it is here's what he says there is no one who is righteous there is no one who understands no one who seeks god all have turned away they have together become worthless Even when we bunch people together, there's not enough inherent worthiness in them collectively to make them worthy of anything from God. There's no one who does good, not even one. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Romans 3, verse 10 and following. No one, no one, no one, no one, no one, no one, no one. Now that's Bible. That's God speaking to us. This text is describing deadness toward God in terms I think that we can understand. Those attributes that we saw that God built into Adam and Eve—they're gone. There is no one who is righteous. There is no one who understands. And what is stated negatively is also stated positively, lest we miss the point. He goes on and says in a positive way, all have turned away. There is no one who does good. All of this in reference to God's course, because the capstone is also the foundation stone. There's no fear of God before their eyes. There you have it. Brethren, that's deadness towards God. The inability to respond to right to God the Creator who made us. Adam killed us. And Eve killed us. And this is a horrendous and catastrophic outcome. I mean, think about this. Dead is dead. There are some who would say, well, we get the part about man's intellect and reasoning being dead and his loss of righteousness and holiness. We believe the godly side of those things were in fact killed in the fall, yeah. But we believe that the will of man remains intact. Where do we see that in the Bible? Isn't our will part of our being? Did we not read, no one seeks for God? That's a matter of the will. All have turned away. Isn't that a matter of the will? Romans 3 verse 11. We hear a lot today from certain churches about seekers Churches have structured their whole programs and have advertised themselves as seeker-friendly churches, by which they mean that they will cater to people who are looking for God. The Bible says that no one's looking for God. They've all turned away. Okay, why are they in church? They're looking for something. But it isn't the God of the Bible. And if the God of the Bible is preached, it becomes evident in a short order that these people didn't want him because they leave when they are confronted with a close encounter of the divine kind. People are looking for the God of their imagination, the God of their own construct. But the God who is there calls to man and says, Where are you? And the man answers, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Genesis 3, 9 and 10. It isn't man who is seeking God. It is God who is seeking man. And where is man in the scenario? He's hiding in the bushes, hoping not to be discovered, wanting nothing to do with the God of the Bible. You say, well, I always thought that man's will was intact because of the commands and the appeals that we find in the Scripture. I mean, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavily burdened. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. Whoever believes in me will never perish. God's word. How do we answer that? Well, God in commanding us as sinners to repent, to believe, to obey, etc. is not appealing to our ability, but rather to our responsibility. We have already been seeing that there's no ability in a spiritually dead person to respond aright to God. We lost that ability in the fall. Our first parents killed themselves and the poison of their all sinful act killed the entire offspring. But here it is. God has not lost his right to command just because you lost your ability to obey. You're responsible to obey even if you can't obey. We are all challenged on the basis of what should be and what we should do, and this has a gospel effect every time God commands, you shall not, we go ahead and do it anyway. Every time He commands, you shall, and we don't, the discrepancy between His command and our lack of compliance points up our sin, our failure. And most importantly, our need of God's mercy if we're going to be at peace with God. God's commands are not saying, they are not saying to you, you can, and that's why I'm commanding. Rather, his commands are saying, you should, but can't, but I can. This is the extent of the fall. Every aspect of our personality and ability as people made in the image of God has been destroyed by sin so that we are dead towards God. Is there any life in dead people? We need to think about these things. Well, if this were the end of the story, we should all fold our Bibles and go home and never listen to a sermon again because if this is the end, there is no good news. But thank God there's a remedy. Romans 5, verse 15, and following begins a wonderful and mind-boggling, yeah, that's easy for you to say, a mind-boggling contrast between what Adam did to us and what Christ did for us. I'm glad this chapter is in the Bible. Romans 5. Verse 15. The gift of God is not like the trespass. I'm reading scripture. The gift of God is not like the trespass. For if the many, verse 12 says all, died by the trespass of one man, Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that comes by that grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Verse 16. Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Adam sinned once and killed himself and the entire race. God's free and gracious gift of salvation followed many trespasses resulting in justification before God. Think of it this way. One sin killed, many sins combined could not hinder God from saving. I hope you're beginning to see a little light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, black as our condition is, there's hope. But the hope does not lie within us. No, it is external to us. It resides solely in the grace of God. Verse 20, Summarizes. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Verse 20 summarizes. We're dead in sins, but we're not buried and forgotten. We are dead towards God, but God can choose to make us alive towards Him. Paul addresses this from the standpoint of satanic blindness. I think it's good that you keep this in mind. The God of this age, Satan. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. True, true, true. So that they cannot see the light of the gospel. Of the glory of Christ. Who is the image of God. They can't see it. Second Corinthians five verse four. We say, "Oh well, then that's it, right?" I mean, since Satan blinds people to the gospel, this supports the inability from a different angle. But uh, deadness, by any other name, is still dead. You know, the Bible never downplays spiritual blindness, and spiritual deadness. It never does. But God is God, and Satan is not. Men are blind, but God sees. Men are impotent, but God is the creator of men. Men do not know the end from the beginning, but God is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And so Paul, while admitting the blindness of men due to Satan's deliberate work to obscure belief in the gospel, goes on to say We preach Jesus Christ as Lord for God who said, let light shine out of the darkness. He said that in Genesis 1, 3. Made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. Romans 5, verse 20. It's being said all over again, where sin increased. Grace increased all the more. Satan and Sid did sin do their worst to blind men, that's true. But God, the Creator, commands the light to shine in our dark hearts, thus overriding any inability to respond to right, granting us the sight we so desperately need. and this God does through the preaching of Christ as Lord. So we preach the gospel to people who do not want to hear it. We preach the gospel to people who cannot believe it when they do hear it. But we preach it anyway. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Romans 10 verse 17. Let me say it best I can. God uses the audible declaration of the word of God to grant faith to sinners. Yeah, I know people are saved at times by just opening the Bible and reading it or reading a gospel tract that quotes the Bible. But the lion's share of people that are saved are saved In a live church services where the gospel is being preached, because faith comes by hearing, not seeing and reading, hearing the Word of God. And God grants faith to respond right to His preached Word. It's really important that you're here, it's really important that you have your kids here. Extremely important. Well, they don't understand all the big words. That's okay. Do you know that's okay? Justification, sanctification, regeneration, they don't know those big words. I try to break them down. But even if I don't, they'll, they'll get what they can, and what they can get is better than they wouldn't get if you kept them home. And didn't expose them to the preaching of the word. We need to thank the Lord for being able to hear the word of the Lord. Do you know there are places today in the world where people cannot hear the word of God. Why? They don't have preachers. And if they do have preachers, they have to be very cautious what they say and where they say it and to whom they say it. So people are starving for not hearing the word of God. That should be part of our missionary endeavor to pray accordingly. Do not superimpose what freedoms we have in the United States upon other parts of the world. Just because we have these freedoms in America does not mean that the other parts of the world do. And what is more, just because we have these freedoms now does not mean we will always have them. Our Father, we thank you for your word. It's so powerful. We're not preaching ourselves, we're preaching Jesus Christ. And I thank you for that. He's the living word, and He will take the living word to change our hearts. I pray that you will do that. For the glory of the Father for the exaltation of the Son use the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin, to grant us repentance and faith and to help us to live for Jesus what a black world we live in we live in this very needy world and we need to share the gospel with people, hand out our tracts Give them a word of testimony. Live it before them in terms of our business dealings and other things so that they can see God's gospel being lived out day by day. I pray that you will do that for us and with us to the glory of Jesus in whose name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Our closing hymn. Two hundred six in the brown. Let's stand and sing together. We are living in the day of the Spirit, and if the Spirit were not here, no one would be saved. He's doing His work. He does it through the Gospel. The Bible says the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. It's what He uses to bring about conviction and repentance and faith and all of those things. And it's the hearing of the Word. I know people can be saved by reading the Word. But primarily they're saved through the hearing of the Word. The Spirit makes application in the hearing of the Word that's not always made in just the reading of it. So work hard to be here on the Lord's Day. Get your family out, your friends out. You want your children to be saved? Expose them to the hearing of the word of God. Say, well, you use big words. They'll get what they can. And you'd be surprised at what they can get. The Holy Spirit will use to save them. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We live in a day when we can each possess a copy of the sacred scriptures. And as of yet, we may still gather as God's people to hear the word preached. Bless the hearing of the word. Bless our little church. Help us to grow. It's not that we want to remain small. We want to grow. But we're not going to compromise the gospel to do that. And we're not going to run, run tricky programs and giveaways and all of those kind of things as an appeal to unbelievers to come. They're not going to come seeking the God of the Bible, but you can draw them. We read that in John chapter 6, verse 44, that you will draw your people. And that word draw is not a little course of action. It's to draw by force. To drag. I think of our lives and how many people in their testimonies have said that was them. They had to be drugged to Jesus. They didn't come all that willingly. Lord, we thank you for that. That you didn't give up on us. Just because of our stubborn will, you draw us through your grace. Save whom you will this day. Build us up in the faith. Help us to grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus, as Peter says. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.